Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, insight and inspiration to thrive at work. I'm Ken Kennard, and I'm joined by Dr. Chip Roper. Hi, Chip. Ken, how are we doing? Doing great. And I'm here with Sarah Evers, too. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Ken. How are you? Great. I'm just so excited to dive into this. Isn't this great? We love helping people thrive at work. And of course, one requirement for thriving is the ability or capacity to handle adversity. Well, adversity may sound a little doom and gloom, but it's true. Dealing with difficulty is part of the work game. And there's a word that captures this ability, resilience. We define resilience as the ability to snap back from shock and challenge. You might think of your resilience quotient as the time it takes for you to return to joy and productivity after you've been hit with a difficulty. So in this inaugural session of the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, we will introduce ourselves, we'll tell you why this topic resonates with us personally, and we'll give you a preview of what's to come. Sarah, introduce the team. All right, well, let me start by introducing Ken. Ken Kennard is an entrepreneur, a coach, a creative. He started his first business when he was 15 and ever since has combined creativity and technology to help people thrive at work. He's been a college professor, he founded and runs a creative agency, and his burning desire is to become the most creative guy you know. For many years, he's been a professional coach and has been a big part of VOCA Center since before its inception. Dr. Chip Roper is a serial entrepreneur who loves to create spaces that transform people, teams, and organizations. Drawing on his experience in business and ministry and leveraging his training as an executive coach and program evaluator, Chip serves individuals and teams in financial firms, the tech industry, and nonprofits. Chip founded VOCA in 2015 to bring God's wisdom to your work. And me, I'm Sarah Evers. I love helping people win at work and in life. I've helped high performers grow in capacity, competency, and character to be able to meet the demands of an increased scope. And I've supported executives in the C-suite as they navigate the tensions of the boardroom. I love facilitating workshops and speaking at conferences and events. Well, several great people kept trying to connect Chip and me because we're both Christians and we're both coaches. Finally, we agreed to meet the Finally, competition. You agreed, to, you agreed, Sarah. <laughs> I said yes, yes to that coffee. Uh, and that coffee led to a few collaborations. I've been with VOCA since 2019. Great. All right, so resilience is our theme, and it's a constant issue at work. To quote Genesis, there's always a by the sweat of our brow aspect to our work. In 2016, that adversity was coming from the disruption caused by globalization and technology. In 2020, it came through a global pandemic and cultural upheaval. To be clear, we see things like COVID as more amplifier than, and accelerator than we see them as game changers. It speeds up trends that were already in the works. So now we're doing even more shopping online, where we're even working from home more often, and we're always connected. So the world of work is always changing and resilience is always required. Those things may seem obvious, but it's one thing to give a passive head nod to the idea. It's quite another thing to come face to face with a staggering challenge and your own need to endure. You know, Sarah, I know the need to bounce back has loomed large for you in 2020. Tell us about that. Oh, yes, Chip. COVID threw our family for a loop, accelerating our plans to move closer to family and ultimately forcing us to move twice. 
In the midst of that, we had the financial angst of being self-employed and buying a house, and I had severe insomnia. We had constant upheaval that highlighted my need for resilience. How about you, Ken? Yeah, well, resilience became a big deal for me around March of 2020 when the pandemic hit our business. And in a week, we lost 90% of our projected income. So I started wondering, what were we going to do? And how would I hold it all together? And meanwhile, our business members and family looked to me for guidance and reassurance. It wasn't easy. Um, and it wasn't easy for you either, Chip. What, what loomed large for you? Well, for me, the bottom seemed to fall out in August of 2020. I received a not-so-nice notice from a government agency. And the content of that letter was really a potential game-ender for VOCA. You know, so my need for resilience just rose to crisis levels instantly. So this topic is practical for you and deeply personal for us, as you can tell. So on February 18, 2021, the three of us took a deep dive into resilience during a live webinar. We discussed our personal challenges and presented a helpful framework for all of us to increase our resilience. Let's listen in. You know, to jump into this topic of resilience this evening, um, you know, we could start, we could talk for us professionals who are working uh, with clients and, you know, many of them are coming to us in some sort of state of being overwhelmed or facing adversity, but we're not. We're going to start with our own stories because it's been a crazy 12 months for all three of us. And, um, you know, the way I describe it is that there's just been some moments uh, where I felt like the bottom was falling out of my life and I was kind of in a state of free fall. And that type of state, that type of situation, that type of shock, that type of um, moment of challenge or season of challenge is a place where the need for resilience uh, comes up. So I'll, I'll share a couple examples uh, from me, but first I'd love to hear from Ken and Sarah just you know, it's unprecedented 12 months. Where's this, this, what, what's showed up for you? I mean, how do you relate this idea of the bottom falling out? Well, I, I still remember it so clearly what happened in March. I was traveling with my son. We were doing some college visits and every college we visited, it was the last tour that they gave because they were shutting down because of the pandemic. So over the course of three days, we shut down three college campuses and flew home. And when I got home, I usually come home to a huge inbox of stuff to do. And I remember coming home to nothing to do. My clients that were providing a lot of work for me at the time all halted their projects. They stopped doing what we were doing. They just like canceled meetings. Everyone just put everything on hold. And at first I was a little bit grateful because I was kind of huffing and puffing and getting a lot done. But after a couple of weeks, I was like, wow, it's crickets around here. And we lost 90% of our um, planned income uh, during that time, March and April. And it was a real gut punch, I have to say. I mean, I started just imagining the worst, fearing the worst, uh, trying to figure out what to do, trying to contact clients. It was a lot of no, a lot of later, a lot of wait and see. And I remember just feeling anxious, nervous, um, wanting to just try to figure out what are what are our options and not coming up with a lot of good options. 90%, you lost 90% of your income. That's intense. That's really intense, really intense. How about you, Sarah, what would you say? Well, we moved twice during the pandemic. Um, that wasn't our um, 
our goal. Like we had, we had before the pandemic started, we had planned to move out of New York City in July, but um, we moved into temporary housing in March um, to, to do our quarantine, and then we moved into a temporary apartment for several months, um, and then we moved into the house that we had planned to move into. Um, and so it was just transition after transition after transition. Uh, my daughter started a new school, and I think the, the real sucker punch for me was um, learning how much struggle she was really going through, how the, all of our multiple transitions, new neighborhoods, multiple neighborhoods, changing friends, not seeing, <laughs> not seeing the interim friends at her new school, um, and then the trouble that she's having with virtual learning, right? Like I thought we had finally gotten into a good, a good rhythm. And then um, just a week or so ago, uh, had a conversation with her teachers and it's just, it's, it's too much for her. She's too distracted. Um, and then add to that, I had a physical last week um, and met with my new doctor and um, she started asking me, Hey, how are you feeling? Are you, you know, are you, how are you, are you feeling blue or depressed? And um, I got I got all teary, and I said, "Well, it's month eleven of the pandemic, and that every time she asked me a question, it just felt like I can't take it anymore. Um, like the weight was coming down on me, and um, and she really pushed me to think about some of the self care um, habits um, that I that I hadn't really solidified in my life yet. Um, so I, I in that appointment, I felt overwhelmed and stressed and just like I was going to fall apart. But after talking with her, I walked out of that office feeling a, um, a lot more confident, a lot more, a lot more secure. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for being candid about that. And, you know, for those of us who have small children or, you know, kids in school, this is a different, it's really different. Um, you know, for me, I got, I feel like I got ran over twice. Uh, I, uh, the, the, the sort of dawn of the pandemic was intense for me, just doing kind of the math and thinking about you know, VOCA's as support. The way we work at VOCA is we, we have a, a whole group of very faithful donors that make it possible for us to offer things to folks who are struggling and discount some of the things that we do. And then we have customers who pay uh, for the services that we provide as well. And, you know, I, I, everything just froze financially. So there was that piece. Uh, New York City was very intense uh, by April. And, you know, all you heard was ambulances. You weren't supposed to go outside and the grocery stores were empty and it was scary. So there's that kind of a moment. And in a sense that we talked about as a team, well, what do we do as VOCA? What's, what's it mean to, to lean in and, and be useful during this moment? So that was one thing. And then we, I felt like we kind of weathered that storm. I kind of weathered that storm. And by the summer, things were kind of in a good way. And then I got a little mail uh, from the IRS in August and found out that we had been, un and we had missed a deadline and it had all these repercussions and it really threatened to shut down everything we do. And, um, and it was a filing error. And um, that was devastating, frankly. Um, and the people, my, my attorney, my bookkeeper didn't really know, like they didn't have a solve and it was it was just it really just felt like the bottom fell out and i didn't know what to do so um you know we've we've all hit these speed bumps over the last 12 months we always will hit them COVID or not like that's just part of life it's certainly part of of work and and career that there's going to be challenges there's going to be hiccups there's going to be 
curveballs that would black swans, even some of you are familiar with that term, just unprecedented events that kind of change things. And all of them point up the need for this quality we call resilience. And I want to define it really briefly. And we're going to talk really briefly about how people tend to respond. And then we want to suggest to you guys a four part framework for how you can strengthen your resilience. And then we'll take questions. We just want to do, you know, again, dig into this as deeply as we can tonight and invite you to steer the conversation. But the way I, re re I define resilience is it's the capacity to snap back or return to joy, creativity, and productivity after uh, a shock or after being introduced into a season of adversity. It's like snapping back. It's returning to joy, creativity, and productivity. And um, all those things are important. All those three words, joy, you know, there's a sense of, of gladness and, and happiness that can return. Creativity, which means that we're able to think about possibilities and new ways to do things and productivity. We know what needs to be done and we're getting it done. And so when you hit, experience a huge shock, a lot of those things just go, they're gone. They evaporate. And resilience is the ability to get back there. And the more resilient you are, the more quickly you return to those three things. So Ken and Sarah, there's three ways people typically uh, typically respond to a shock or to chronic adversity. And I'm going to go through those in a minute. We're also going to have a poll for those of you who are joining us this evening. We want to figure out what's kind of your default way of handling these types of shocks or adversity. And then um, we'll, we'll comment on that a little bit and then we'll get on to a solution, I promise. But the three are, these are the three responses. So uh, one response is to freeze. It's to do nothing. Uh, it's, you don't know what to do, you don't do anything. You don't respond, you become incommunicative. Um, you just kind of leave things where they were and put your life on pause or your email on pause or your cell phone on pause, you freeze. Another is flight. Uh, that's to escape. And, um, you know, it's to find any way to just, you're, you're active, but you're active in a sense that you're disconnecting uh, from, from reality. Um, Netflix is really good uh, for, for flight. Uh, video games are very good for flight. They can be a fine diversion from time to time, but like if that's, you just drop into that world. Um, you know, substance abuse is another way, way we, we uh, fly or we produce, pursue that flight. Or quitting is often, uh, we just quit. You quit your job, you quit. That's a flight response. And the last is fight. And by fight, I don't mean that actually like in just resisting the challenge and pushing forward. I mean, we fight um, by uh, attacking, usually attacking people. I know, you know, like I sort of function at a low level of irritability all the time. Um, so, but, when, yeah, Ken is really laughing. You're laughing a little bit too much, Ken. Uh, but you know, when I'm in this stress, uh, high stress scenario where things are kind of falling apart, I'm a lot more irritable and it's kind of the, you know, it's the kill the messenger, kick the dog strategy that we, we tend to take it out on the people around us, even though it's really not their fault or they don't have anything to do with it. Um, but that's what I mean by fight. You know, we lash out uh, at the people around us. So fight flight or freeze are the three responses. I think we have a poll on that. We want to know what yours is. Like, I know what's your default little, little time for, uh, 
being honest and chiming into the conversation. Um, we'll give you a chance to check that out. And uh, Ken and Sarah, what do you think? <laughs> well, I know what mine are. <laughs> go, go ahead, Sarah. Well, uh, my, my default mode is, is fight. Um, you know, I, uh, one of the things I'm in and out of therapy with is dealing with this low grade anger that I have in my life. And my, my first, my first emotional reaction to most things is this anger. There's a, you know, it takes a lot of honesty and vulnerability for me to describe something other than anger. And so, um, my husband, I married a therapist and there might be a good reason for that. Um, um, he's very, um, you know, he helps me work through that. Uh, but then my, my next one is probably flight. Um, and you're getting a little personal there, Chip, when you're talking about Netflix. Um, but that's, you know, that's, you know, the, the, the escapism for me is, is one of those um, unhealthy ways for me to deal with stress. So whether it's snapping at my family or having conversations in my head that aren't really happening, so then I get mad at people, but they don't know because it's all happened in my head. Um, or I'm numbing out. Those are those are the th three things that I have to keep an eye on. Well, for me, I'm I'm really analytical, cerebral, you know, cognitive. So fight isn't really my first response. My my first response is kind of to analyze things, and if it's getting really acute and heated and uncomfortable, I'm I'm much more likely to fly away. Because only after I leave the situation can I feel like I can really analyze it. If things are getting hot and heavy and people are angry or belligerent or upset or there's chaos, it's hard for me to make sense of things and analyze things and figure out what to do and how to do it. So I'm more likely to kind of detach, pull away, not get involved. And it's not always the right response, but it, at least I think it allows me to get enough space that I can kind of figure things out, which is where I feel a little bit more comfortable. How about you, Chip? Uh, it's a combination, I think. I like Glenn. Glenn Miles chatted in. Option D, all of the above. Uh, <laughs> that's actually the only honest answer, right? Thank you, Glenn. That's great. Um, yeah, I think you know, there's a fight side, which is I want to get my head around this. I want to get at whatever it is. I want to learn as much as I can and have a strategy. And there's and it's certain, it seems like there's nothing wrong with that. But Frequently, we, we find in these situations, there's nothing, there is no getting your head around all of it. You know, like it's beyond us. I think, I think that's one. And then I, I tend to escape. I find ways to escape. You know, just binge a show. Um, some it's more productive, maybe a longer, like a longer exercise routine. That's good. But some of it's really not. So. Well, that's a, I think we'd call that an applauded addiction. Yeah. Right. We talk over exercising. That's something that we that uh, we we applaud that kind of addiction. But this it's still an addiction. It's still an escape. It's still not a healthy way to deal with what we're experiencing. I've never been accused of over exercise, but that's uh, I'm still working on that one. Anyway, let's see the poll results, Glenn, uh, Ken. What do we get? What do we got there? So the poll is uh, it tends. To, I, I guess I'm among friends here, Chip, because. Uh, almost half of the people picked flight and next up is freeze and about a quarter of the people pretty close to freeze uh, said fight interesting all right well that's great I mean all of, the, all, of, all of us relate and um, 
and none of those responses is the best response. And we want to talk about how to snap back, how to return to that sense of, I've got some joy, I've got some creativity, and I'm going to be productive as I tackle this. So we have a four-part model, and I want to just summarize it, uh, four-part framework, and then uh, Ken and Sarah and I are just going to chat through it, and then we're going to get to your questions about it. But the first, the foundation of this model, you can visualize a pyramid, is to feed hope. To feed hope. Hope is uh, the confident expectation that good is coming. Feed hope. Um, and so that's the that's the first thing. And the second is to um, establish rhythms. Um, hold on a sec. There you go, Sarah. Um, the second. The second block is to establish rhythms. It's, there's, a, there's something that happens when we live in a kind of healthy pattern uh, that gives us a capacity to handle difficulty. And in physical training, it's exercise. Exer the more exercise you do, the greater capacity you have for more strenuous physical activity. And it's true emotionally, spiritually, and uh, vocationally that there's a rhythmic aspect to this. And, if you are a knowledge worker and you've been standing in front of a screen all day, uh, that's changed your rhythm and it needs adapted. The third block is to seek counsel. It's to seek counsel. And um, you know, one of the things we're passionate about here is this idea that you cannot do life alone and that you need connections with people that will give you, bring you wisdom and uh, to keep you going. And so that's seek counsel. That's the third thing. And the top one is to take action. You know, when you are quiet and you have good rhythms and then you seek counsel and you get wisdom, you are able to formulate a plan, an action plan, that's actually going to make a difference in your situation. And I know like when I got my nice, my love letter from the IRS, I sought a lot of counsel, uh, the board of VOCA and some other people, and I it didn't take, it actually didn't take too long uh, till I had a list of things that I knew I could do. And part of being resilient and not being paralyzed was getting done what needed to be done and uh, what could be done. And so that's taking action. If we don't take action, uh, we're missing something. I don't, I, don't, I don't see resilience as something that's just inside your head or your soul or your heart. I see, something, I see it as something that plays out in what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So let's go back and talk through these things uh, in a little bit more detail. Um, I'll add Sarah and Ken back. And uh, so let's talk about feeding hope. Hope is that confident expectation. Um, I think, you know, when, I, when this whole crisis started, even some of our guests on our webinar, they said things like, well, kind of gra economic gravity, you know, what goes down will come up, you know, things will come back. Uh, you know, it's kind of the every cloud has its silver lining type of mantra. And there's some other, other ways that we commonly um, kind of feed hope in our culture. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think, I think one thing that I've heard that, that makes sense to me is that if when we're in a pandemic or a crisis or something like that, we can actually endure it much better if we knew when it would end, right? If we knew that this was just for a time, you know, here's the date that the pandemic's over, we could kind of you know, gear ourselves up and endure it. And then like, okay. And we kind of put our hope in knowing that it's temporary. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I think that could help, certainly. I'm not sure it's the best response. You know, as as faith faith-based believers, right? As people that that have trust that God's actually in control, that he's allowing things, that just as he allows them, he's in charge of them, that it's part of his sovereign plan. Um, you know, we realize that our hope is not in an end date. Our hope is in the one who's in charge, the person who's in charge of this. And we can actually trust him with the pandemic. Like he's pretty good at running the universe. And even though bad things happen, he has a way of redeeming them. He has a way of um, making sure that they work to his glory. And uh, we can content ourselves and rest in that when we're able to put our hope in him instead of our hope in some kind of temporariness of the problem. You know, Ken, that resonates with me because uh, one of my favorite words um, in the Bible is the Hebrew word batach. Um, and batach, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but I'll have to look it up. Uh, but that Hebrew word translates into um, hope, what we, what we use as hope. But that word in the Hebrew has a much deeper, richer meaning. And as a words girl, it really resonates with me because the Hebrew idea gets to confident expectation not constant anxiety, knowing that the rug won't be pulled out from underneath you. Um, and this is foundational hope. This is hope that can endure. And as you said, Ken, it's, it's not the hope in a timeline, but it's that confident expectation, not constant anxiety. And I'd say that that phrase, confident expectation, not constant anxiety, knowing that the rug won't be pulled out from under your feet. Those are some of the phrases that have followed me these last 11 months of challenging me. What does it look like to live not with this constant anxiety that feels like a constant companion? And what does it look like for me to trust in God, knowing he's not going to yank the rug out from underneath me, but I can stand firm, firmly rooted in him. And that's why I love that hope is the foundational piece of, of this uh, four-part resilience framework that we're talking about tonight. Yeah. And I mean, there is no resilience without hope, without some expectation that things can be better. There's no reason to dust yourself off and get up and keep going if there's no possibility of good in the future. And so we have narratives in our culture that we use to kind of like the economy goes down, that goes up. If we just get our political party in power, everything is going to be better. Um, if you do, you know, you just get a good education and you work hard, even through hard times, you just grind it out and eventually things will improve. And those are some of the narratives that we we hook into, all of us do. And, you know, actually, in some ways, there might be some truth to them. But then you get the curveball and you find that sometimes those things don't actually hold up. And what we've all experienced, and it's been a deep part of my life, is that, um, you know, hooking your hope into the idea that there's a God who made us, that cares about us, that even in our trials and struggles is working um, that there, there's a now side of what he's doing and then there's a future side of what he promises to do uh, is a huge, it's a huge game changer. And, you know, some of you have probably heard that. Some of you probably have that. And some of you might think that's really strange and or you might be curious about it. And we'd love to talk to you about it. But hope is the fact like there is no resilience if there's if, if, you, if there's no if there's no point in getting up and keep going. So that hope is where it starts. But the second is. Um, to, I can't see it because my notes are stuck together, is to establish rhythms. It's this rhythms idea. It's this patterns idea. It's the idea that um, we can't just plug ourselves into our computers and become part of the circuitry. 
that we're human beings and that we need to think about our daily patterns, our weekly patterns, even maybe our monthly and annual patterns, or we're, we're going to fry, we're going to burn out, and we're not going to have any reserves to handle adversity. What do you guys see in that, that idea of rhythms? Well, as a, as a trained musician, I think about rhythm all the time, you know, and rhythm is a, a pattern of stress and rest is really what it is. And it, when you get yourself into a nice rhythm, it can be very comfortable. I was thinking about the pandemic and how the people who have struggled the most medically with the, with the virus are the people that already were compromised, right? They were already, it, it's the elderly, it's the people who have pre-existing conditions. Um, those are the people that are having the hardest time physically being resilient. Um, and the way, so, so it follows then that the best way to be resilient when there's an emergency is to have already been working on those rhythms, putting yourself in healthy habits, um, good exercise, you know, mental uh, health, um, breaks uh, that are frequent so that you're not working for too much period of time or that you're not resting for too long a period of time. Um, these kinds of things. So uh, it reminds me of that verse that, that uh, you've mentioned, uh, Chip, uh, Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It's, it's when we, the adversity comes that it doesn't make us weak. It kind of reveals the weakness that we already have. Of course, by then it's too late if it takes you out. But for a lot of us, you know, that gut punch that I talked about earlier, it, it reminded me that I wasn't as resilient as I needed to be. And so it's time to put some things in place so that that doesn't happen again. Sarah, what do you think? What are some rhythms you found really helpful for you during this last year? Well, uh, when my doctor last week really pressed into that, what do you do for self-care? It made me realize that a lot of the healthy rhythms that I had in my life pre-pandemic um, were stripped away when the pandemic happened because no longer was I out walking my daughter to school and then um, talking with friends on my way to my office. No longer did I have some of these natural loops that I had built in, places where I could think, uh, where I could process my day, um, time to sort of de-stress. Uh, Ken, I loved what you said about how rhythm is a pattern of stress and rest. And that was just naturally part of the day, part of the life that uh, my husband and I had created with our daughter in New York. The pandemic came and those were just gone. Um, and so, you know, last week when my doctor asked me, what are you doing for self-care? I realized, I, 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 I don't know. I'll start something um, and then I'll get distracted and break the habit. So what I've been focusing on now um, is drinking lots and lots of water uh, because sitting in one place with all these lights on is draining and dehydrating. Um, and so at least what the water does is it forces me to, to get up um, and move around. Um, and then I'm also, um, I got back into reading, reading fiction. Uh, so I, I got a book from the library. You know, they have to hold it for four days before they can give it to me. And then when I return it, they have to hold it for four days. But I'm reading books. Um, and I'm, I also subscribe to the New York Times crossword app. Um, and that makes me so happy. Um, I can't do the whole week yet. But I start out, you know, Monday's the easiest day, Sunday's the hardest. Um, and so I'm kind of learning how to do the crossword. But that gives me a good, healthy um, break 
uh, that still engages my mind and I feel like it helps me grow and develop. That's really good. Uh, I would say exercise, uh, time for me for quiet in the morning, like extended time for reading uh, the scripture, reading reflections on sacred texts, um, having time to reflect on that. Friendship's another one. I have a friend that we started to meet every other week on Zoom, actually before this pandemic. We started in November 2019, and we just found that we were catching up every three or four months, and we were really missing uh, some things in each other's lives. And, um, man, that's been really rich, and, um, you know, it's a real big part of all this. Um, yes, Nen, I finally got some friends. See that in the chat. I see that. Anyway, we're going to move on. Rhythms are really important. Rhythms is kind of like conditioning. Uh, the third is to seek counsel, uh, to seek counsel, that we should always have people who are wise speaking into our lives. Um, and in your work life, uh, you need, you know, we can talk about coaching. That's what we do. You also are probably going to need uh, people in your industry, in your field, who can serve as mentors and in, as sponsors to help you advance. Um, it is not an... In Work and life are not individual sports. It's a team sport. Uh, you have a team and you need people to help you uh, get through these things, um, get whatever they are, uh, to enjoy the highs and to process the lows. Um, thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I, I think if you combine, this is an interesting one, because if you combine establishing rhythms with seeking counsel, what you get is a regular pattern of seeking counsel, right? That you build this into part of your rhythm. And I found that, you know, I, I hired a coach and I still have a coach and it's something I pay for. It's something I'm glad to pay for because I really show up for it and it and it I, I value it more that way. And I also get I've noticed how God gives me things through relationships often just before I need them. Um, and I, I don't think if I was seeking counsel, it would be as good for my humility. If it would not be as good for my perspective, I would, I would, I just can't get outside my head enough to get certain kinds of information and perspective. I actually need to be challenged and encouraged and supported in order to be resilient. And it, it's kind of like, you know, the exercise routine, you, you kind of need to build it into your rhythm because you're always going to have something that's gonna to try to throw you off your game. And to have already built that relationship um, is just a natural part of, I think, being wise, wise stewards of our time and energy. That's really good. How about you, Sarah, what would you add? Well, I'm nearly always in some sort of counsel relationship, whether it's meeting with a therapist or a coach or a mentor, um, or, you know, cause it's just good for me personally, professionally and spiritually. I need that outside input. and. When I stop seeking counsel, whether I'm, I'm hiring somebody to give me that counsel or uh, I'm meeting with somebody from, from church for it, uh, I, I need that because I can't figure this out on my own. And I need, like Ken, like you said, I need that um, outside perspective. And sometimes it's impartial. Sometimes that person doesn't know anything about my world, but they're hearing what I'm saying and they're echoing it back to me. And I suddenly become aware of, um, patterns or mindsets that I need to adjust. And, and you don't get that when you're just in your own head or in your own space. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I need to process things verbally. Uh, so when it's work-related, vocal-related things, it's really great for me to be able to talk with uh, the board about specific things that we're thinking about doing, challenges we have. Just the act of 
that they throw in council and then we it kind of it all goes into the crock pot and it comes out as a meal and um, it's just what I need it's what I need um, and I feel like life is that way too and I like you guys I'm for most of my last 20 25 years I've had some kind of I've had a, a collection of advisors and at least one of them has been paid because that becomes a more focused professional relationship and it kind of takes it takes the it, it heightens the need for me to get value out of it because I'm paying for it and it heightens the responsibility that they have to deliver. And um, it's great. I mean, it's definitely worth the investment, speeding up decisions, making better decisions, mi avoiding missteps. That you're, all, you're saving money with all those things. So it more than pays for itself over and over. So out of the last step is to take action. And um, I kind of already teed this up a little bit, kind of ran ahead because I get excited about action. Uh, I think, you know, when we know we, we have a plan, we know what to do and we go and do it, that creates momentum. And the biggest difference, I mean, we see it all the time, whether it's a consulting client or a coaching client, the people who take action, thoughtful action, do well. Even if they're learned that wasn't the right path, I need to go try this, they're doing well. And the people who wait for everything to be just right, uh, you know, are the ones that struggle. They, uh, they really do. They, uh, they miss out on, on the possibilities of better. So what do you guys think about this last idea of taking action? Well, it, it reminds me of James where in the Bible he talks about faith without works is dead, right? A, a plan without action is pointless, right? No one rewards a plan that was never implemented um, and for good reason, right? Um, and so I, I think that we all want action. We all understand that. I think that in a pandemic or a chaos or something like that, it's not always clear what action we should take. So having a plan is the first part. Executing that plan is the second part. And that actually becomes a lot more clear if it's based on these other three things. If you have hope that it's worth going forward, if you've got those rhythms, if you have good counsel, out of that comes a strategy. And so implement the strategy, work the plan. Oh, I love that. Um, and it makes me think of Jesus because it was Jesus who said in John, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That um, as an activator, as somebody who's always thinking ahead and making a plan and jumping to action, that verse is, is an encouragement. It's a charge to me. Um, when I'm in that point where I want to disconnect um, or, or fight the wrong battle or I want to flee the situation or just numb out, the challenge to me is will I sit passively and indifferent allowing life to just happen or will I partner with God to co-create with him to take active action and be an active participant, to be an active role in my own life. Um, and so I, I, I like this idea um, that resilience ultimately means we take action. Um, and that action is, is planned, it's intentional. It's not haphazard, it's not a random shot in the dark. It's in light of counsel, in light of having these healthy rhythms in our life and, and it's built on hope. And so that taking action is that fourth step after you've grounded yourself in hope, had these healthy rhythms and sought counsel. Um, and then it's intentional action to move forward, or even as the Bible sometimes says, to just stand, to stand strong. Maybe I'm not 
moving forward and actively taking ground, but maybe I'm simply withstanding the assault that's coming against me. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I know for me, the cloud lifts when I take action. Mm. That That's when the cloud, like you get run over, you're dust, you're like, you're disoriented, you're confused. The cloud lifts though when I take action. And I know even if the situation isn't resolved, if I know that I've done everything within my control to do, I have a sense of peace about it. And yeah, that's, that's a Covey thing, Stephen Covey, the circle of control. That's what you're responsible for. That's where you have a complete agency. And we, a lot of times we focus on things that are outside our circle of control and it just gives us more anxiety and stress. But like you said, like knowing what we need to do and then doing it brings us a tremendous amount of relief and momentum and, and peace. We've created the Resilient Faith at Work podcast to provide you with practices to increase your resilience and inspiration to follow through on those habits. Each episode will feature a guest with a unique and compelling take on endurance. Stay with us for the journey and you'll get a masterclass in surviving the unexpected turbulence in your career. And faith is a key element of this. In fact, it's the foundational element of resilience. Our guests are more than inspiring. They're women and men who anchor their hopes in Jesus, in his work on our behalf, in his promises, and in his power at work in us. Each episode is recorded in front of a live webinar audience. Register at vocacenter.org webinar so you can join us and shape the conversation. You know, we believe that the process of developing resilience is a team sport, and we are honored to walk alongside professionals like you all over the world we equip them to find and follow God's plan for their work. So please subscribe, rate and review the podcast and share this with your friends. Together, we can build resilient faith at work. Mm-hmm.